For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother is righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whatever, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Morning, how are we doing? Great. We just heard a passage of murder and death and stuff, but uh, we can still be doing all right. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I usually preach. I've had the last three weeks off, so thank you, Xavier and Sandy. I uh, did a wonderful job. On behalf of Xavier, he's on vacation right now. He's flying back right now. I just want to say thank you for welcoming Xavier into our church family. Uh, moving here to this church, he had a great thing going. He was doing great, and God moved him to this church to be a part of this startup church in the early phases. And you all have welcomed him in. He says this last few weeks, really, he feels like one of the pastors here, and people uh, look to him. So just thank you for loving him, taking good care of him, uh, and just treating him like a pastor with honor and dignity and all those things. He really does love this place a lot. So thank you on behalf of a guy who's had that from you from the beginning. And now I get to preach and teach uh, God's Word. Just Sandy was here last week. I just want to reorient us in the book of 1 John because it's a little uh, scat. John's an older guy and he just kind of has a few themes he's chewing on that he wants to share with people. Uh, I'll give you the outline. Here's the outline and then I want to make a few comments. So his intro is chapter 1, 1 through 4. His conclusion would be chapter 5, 18 through 21, which we'll get to in a few weeks. And then he has two messages. Just to show you, I know I'm making this up. Go to chapter 1, verse 5, so we can see John, how he describes. Chapter 1, verse 5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Flip back over to where we were just at, chapter 3, verse 11, our text for the morning. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So John has a beginning, an ending, and two messages. God is light, God is love. And here's what he's doing. He has these messages, and he's just kind of cycling through them. It's different, so I used to teach math. That was my first career. Uh, and here's how American math works. There's nothing wrong with this. Here's how it works. It's different than the rest of the world. So you kind of go sequentially. So you learn algebra 1, then you take... Geometry, which we all hate, and then you take Algebra 2, and then you take Pre-Calculus. If you're more advanced and awesome in math, you jump up like Clayton, you're in AP Calculus, and you're like that braggy kid. All right, if you're one of those guys who made it to Calculus, great. But the whole world in America has to take Algebra 1, Geometry, Algebra 2, Trigonometry, Pre-Trig, pre, whatever you call it. In Europe, they do it different. Integrated Math 1, Integrated Math 2, Integrated Math 3, and what do they teach in math one, two, three? The same thing. They teach algebra, geometry, algebra two, and pre-cal. But they just cycle through. And it gets harder and harder and harder. But they just keep doing the same thing. John is a little bit European now. He doesn't leave God is love message 
close that page. Now God is light. And I'm just going to talk about it's God is love. God is light. God is love. And he cycles through in this message. And this is an older man, so like all the, part of what's stinky about being a younger person is you talk way more than you realize and you should, and as you get older, kind of God refines that. John's been refined, and this is his core message. It's like he's filtered through all the nonsense, and this is his message for us. God is light, God is love. And today's message is very simple. He talks about two things, love and hate. Specifically through the lens of two biblical characters, Cain, the father of hate, and Jesus, the bringer of love. <coughs> love and hate, love and hate, love and hate. Here's my title, if you're a note-taking person like my wife, Family Values, Cain's World, Jesus' World, and the One Similarity Between the Two. Cain's World? No, okay. no 90s movie fans, all right, all right, just... Move on. All right, we're talking about Cain's world, Jesus' world, and the one thing they have in common. Here's what I know to be true. I do not like this message because it's very, uh, uh, you can't dodge what's being asked of you if you actually let the Spirit and the Word say what it says to us. And me, in preparing for this message and coming to this moment, like it's just very like, here's the thing. Take it or leave it. And I want us to take it and to live like this. So I want the Spirit to do what He wants with us, in us. And I want Him to very specifically hit all of us where we need to be hit. So I want to just pray and ask the Spirit to do that. If you don't want to pray, I'm going to pray it for you regardless. Of you pray. <laughs> Holy Spirit, convict us by Your Word, through the words of John, dearest friend of Jesus, who knows what's important in life. And in this message, He gives us a little summary message of hate and love and the most important thing in life. So God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So here's the first question. Cain's world, what is the family value of the world? Cain's world, what's the family value of Cain's world, the world we all still inhabit? Here's how I want to do this, just so you kind of don't get lost in the weeds. I'm going to go to the original story. So Cain and Abel is a story from back here, older part of the book. And then I'm going to read John's commentary, which is what he sort of comments on that story. And then I want to just ask the question, what does John want us to hear for Cain's world and Jesus' world? So the original story is what I want to do. But before, before I do this, I don't know, we'll see what Albert thinks about this. She'll say, don't do that again. <laughs> so I sent out an email this week. Just We're in an Old Testament story. 30 years from now. And maybe sooner, you're going to be talking maybe about Cain and Abel. And a lot of people at work, in your classroom, will be like, who's Cain? Who's Abel? Meaning we're, we're like leaving a literacy moment in our country, in our church, where everyone kind of had common language regarding the basic stories of the Bible. So I didn't grow up in church. I feel like one of my Achilles heel and the thing I'm always like working against is like I'm late to the Bible game, which it might be something you... So one of the things I said on this email is one of the tricks I have is my kids' Bibles because it's not as long, the words aren't as big, and there's lots more pictures in my kids' Bible. So what I do when I'm going with like an Old Testament story I want to get familiar with is I pull out an old kids' Bible and I read it. I'm like, okay, I'm refreshed now. So these are my favorites. And just so you know, I bought extra. So if you really want one for you or your kids or grandkids, whatever, I have a few to give away. Not right now because we've got to preach a sermon. But this is my favorite, but it's also PG-13 and maybe trending towards 
R-rated stuff. <laughs> it's the Bible told through Lego figurines, but he wastes, he does not hide any of the graphic stuff. So this is a great one, Lego Bible, your kid should be 10 or mature-ish. This one's like just basic, just easy. If you're a grandparent, you need this. It's so easy to read to your grandkids. Any age, it tells the story. And then this, hands down, is my favorite Bible ever outside of the actual ESV that I preach from every Sunday. This Action Bible, it's a comic book, but it tells every story and it does not miss any details. There's not, it, It's graphic, but comic book graphic, so it's not terrible. I read this still to Ozzy at night. It's amazing. This is It's like 30 bucks on Amazon, but if you really want it, I'll give it to you so you can read it to your kid or grandkid. So, all that being said, why do I say that? Because we're about to enter an Old Testament story that is less familiar than it used to be, and it's trending towards being less familiar. So if you will, look at the screen. This is out of Genesis. This is Genesis chapter 4. This is immediately after Adam and Eve do their thing. This is how the Bible continues the story with the family of Adam and Eve. Now Adam and Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fall? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel's brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Genesis 4, 1 through 10. So the author of this book, Moses, doesn't give a lot of like journal entries as to what's going on in Cain. It's Adam and Eve had a kid, Cain, then that Abel gives their professions, their vocations, and then this moment with the Lord where God had favor for one, not the other, and Cain, very next moment, raises up and kills the word is manslaughter, his brother. If you want commentary on what's going on, the New Testament gives little tidbits here and there. In the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, it says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And though he died, he still speaks. So the commentary is what happened is Abel had faith in that moment. In the other spot in the New Testament where you get commentary is our passage this morning, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. So this is John, dear friend of Jesus, given commentary on this Genesis story of Cain and Abel. So let's hear what John has to say. What's his commentary on the Cain and Abel story? 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
There's the commentary. What does John want us to hear as he goes back to this Old Testament story? Who's our first family? The first representation on earth of how humans do family life is Cain and Abel. Very simply, verse 11, this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John's out there. Here's what I want. Love. We should love one another. Verse 12 then, we should not, he could have put a lot of stuff in that. It's love, he could have filled in like, we should not ignore, dismiss, not live up to our responsibilities, do good. Very uh, harshly and clearly he makes a distinction. We should love, we should not what? Be like Cain who murdered his brothers. Those are the two options John gives us as we think about ethics and values in this world. There is hate and there is love. We should love. He is very black and white. Like he just let that, as an older man, in all of his wisdom, he's trying to say, love, church love. And then he doesn't leave open room for like all the other non-love options on the table. He says there's love and there's Cain-like behavior, which is hate and murder. We should choose love. So what is the family value of the world? Very simply, it is hate. Like that's the, that's the air of the earth. That's the DNA in our bones. That's the thing that's getting passed down as you all do family origin searches. Like in all of us, we go back to Adam and Eve and the rebellion against God and their first family, the thing that gets pictured first is hate. Like let's not miss. In a world where if you're not following Jesus, you kind of over-assume the positive in you and in others and the potential for greatness in you and others. The Bible alone does this better than any other book, any other holy book in all the world. It paints a more optimistic, hopeful, where we came from and where we're going picture than anything else offered. And it paints a more sobering, realistic, hard to look at reality of what life really is and who I really am at my core. And you are at your core. This is the first picture we have of a family. I want to show you, I went back digging, this is the first picture of my family. That's me and my wife, our first, oh, I thought so, I hope that's it. <laughs> August 2006, so cute, so young, so young and dumb, full of life, don't know anything. But that's our first picture, like just, I love it. The Bible, we can take that off. <laughs> Adam and Eve, chapter three, chapter four, the very first picture is murder. Do not be like Cain, who was the evil one, and murdered his brother. This is not a one-off in some backwoods town. That that's not me. That's not how my people do stuff. This is the origin story that we all get traced back to. Don't be like Cain, who was the evil one, and murdered his brother. Why? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We pass out of death into life because we love the brothers. But whoever does not love abides in and everyone who hates his brother, like Cain hated his brother, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's John's message of the hate value that's everywhere. Now here's the order, just to sort of, because he paints this very symmetrical, beautiful picture as he unpacks all this. Here's the order. Cain is the firstborn son of earth. 
Adam's of the dust. God makes and breathes life into him and takes a rib and makes Eve. But out of human offspring, Cain is the firstborn of mankind. And his first recorded action is him hating his brother. It says, because his brother's deeds are righteous and his were evil. Now there's no commentary to clearly say, is it because, was he jealous of the righteous deeds of his brother? Or was it just that he was so evil that he therefore hated his brother? I think that those work together probably. But the reality is Cain, evil. Evil, righteous. And he hates him. And it says he rises up and he goes and he murders his brother. The word is manslaughter. I think there's a great Brian Regan bit about words. He's like, you should be in a prison and there's two guys. One's in there for loitering and one's in there for manslaughter. The guy's like, what are you doing? Loitering. What is loitering? You just stand around outside too long? And the other one says, I'm in there for manslaughter. Slaughtered. Oh man, he goes on this big bit like, that's a violent word. That is the exact word God uses in Genesis to describe what King does to Abel. He slaughtered his brother. Oh, gosh, this friend of mine said, this is a really happy, joyful place. And we're talking about manslaughter. I, the Bible paints a more optimistic, hopeful picture, but it also brings us back to earth quicker than anything else in this world. What's truly kind of underneath the surface. And Cain slaughtered his brother. And then verse 13 says, don't be surprised, this is how the world's going to function from here on out. Meaning Cain's ethic of hate and murder has now spread and now it's everywhere. Firstborn son of earth, he hates, he murders, it spreads through more hate and murder. That's the story of Cain. And what's the image that John wants us to walk away with? Very simply, the word he just keeps repeating over and over again is about death. Cain murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Do not be surprised when the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. No murderer has eternal life. The word, the key word is death. I mean, one of those images is just, if you're like a creative person, like I've got one son who could just draw pictures of like the feeling. Of, it says, whoever is like this abides in death. So, I didn't see it, I didn't watch it, don't tell X, I listened to the sermon, but he had something about a rat all tied up together for abiding. All the tales, I think, connected. Abiding is like this, like a root system. In the image John gives for people who hate, a world filled with hate, is that like heart strings are tied to death. Like death is gross, there's decay, it's stinky. I'm doing yard work the other day with the boys and they're raking leaves and Ozzy finds a dead bird. Yeah. It's gross. It's got no eyes. Dad, where did his eyes go? His eyes go. I'm like, it's death. It's, it's decay. In the image John gives us is that's what everyone's like in Cain's world. It's like your heart is synced up with death and decay. And the action that comes out of you is hate and murderous hate towards others. That is Cain's world we live in. Now here's what I, as I've been thinking about this message, like the word hate is like the word you do not want used to label you in this day and age. We live in a cultural moment who wants to be tolerant, wants to like be the one that's like not that, I'm not like that. Like, so I think of like, 
I mean, I, uh, that's your kid. Great. <laughs> I don't hate him. I just. <laughs> um, we think of racism talk. There's a very real talk that needs to be had and continue to be had that people walk at for a variety of reasons. Part of the reason is people like refuse to ever have any indication of racism thrown their way. Because I don't want to be known as the one that hates anyone or participates in homophobia. I'm just going to hell. It's not one of our kids, is it? Right. Homophobia. I don't want to be the one that's known as hating any other sexual orientation. Political idolatry. I don't want to be the one that hates. Like, we don't want to be the one that hates. Like, even in my neighborhood, at least, I don't know if yours like this, I see this in a window or in a yard every 15 houses. Everything on it's, I mean, fine. Black Lives Matter, women's rights are human rights, no humans are legal, science is real, love is love, kind of thing. But they're like, the reason that sign is in this cultural moment is nobody wants to be thought of as hateful in any way, shape, or form. And my message to you and to me and to us is the Bible says that hate is the default sort of mechanism of the human heart living in Cain's world. So we have to like kind of do business with ourselves and say, okay, maybe there's some maybe maybe I'm a little like Cain sometimes. Just to so maybe you say I'm not a hateful person, I'm pretty happy. So I looked at the definition of hate. Here's the definition of hate just to hopefully implicate more of us. To dislike intensely or passionately. To feel an aversion to or hostility towards, or to detest. So is there any like elevated dislike in you towards someone else or a people group? Is there any avoidance in you towards a person or people group? They're here, so you go here. Is there any hostility or detesting feelings inside of you? Well, then more of our hands go, ah, got it, me. So what is that? That's hate. That's the air of the world. That's the DNA of our first family. That's the first image we have of the first family is this idea of hate. But the Bible has two parts, and the second part is beautiful, and it tells a better story about a better death and a better firstborn son. We get to see John now unpack the other ethic. If one is hate, the default mechanism of the world, the other one is love. So here's our next one. Jesus' world, what is the value for us as the church? What does John have to say to us as the church? We are no longer of Cain. We are of Jesus. And the same thing I want to do, just so you know how we're walking through this, is there's an original story behind what John's saying. John has some commentary, and then John wants us to hear some very poignant things from this. So what is the original story of what John is about to say in verse 16 through 18? It is simply this, the death of Jesus Christ. A historical fact. Nobody can refute it. Some people try but he was killed on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. And we as Christians claim that is the central focus of our, our humanity, our faith. Everything about us relies on that moment. Jesus was killed on the cross. And it's recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I want to see Mark's rendering of the death of Jesus. Again, it's on the screen. But let's just walk through the death of Jesus now. And then we'll read John's commentary. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scorched Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. They clothed him in a purple cloak, 
Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they brought him to this place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself! Come down from that cross! And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma shabakni! Which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on the reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And in that moment, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. We've got a death in the Old Testament of a son being slaughtered, Abel. And we've got a death in the New Testament of a son being slaughtered at the hands of Roman soldiers while the Jews watched on. And all of us with negligence, looking at him, doing nothing. This is the death. Now, what's the commentary John has for us as the church today? He says this about that historical moment, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. What scholars see as a historical moment where some Jewish rabbi was killed on the cross, we Christians see this as the moment we finally know love. And the ethic of hate no longer has to be our ethic, our value, our operating system. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. What does John want us to get? I think a few things. I think John in his beauty wants us to see sort of the, the beauty and the irony of the comparison of Cain and Jesus. So Cain is the firstborn son of earth. Jesus is the firstborn son of heaven. Heavenly Father, earthly mother, born of a virgin, Cain, the firstborn son of man and woman, Adam and Eve. Cain, first recorded heart action is hate. He hated his brother. And he slaughtered his brother. Jesus loved. Cain, why did he hate his brother? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. <coughs> Jesus loved. In an ironic twist, his deeds were the righteous ones, and all others were unrighteous, and yet he loved those who were unrighteous, you all and me. And he chose slaughtering as well. He laid down his life and suffered and gave excruciating death. That's where the word excruciate comes from. Crucifixion from the cross, and he laid down his life. And Cain's ethic of hate spread, 
and is still spreading through hate and death to this day. And Jesus' ethic is still spreading through what? Love and death to this day. John does not want us to miss those are the options in this world for a family value to choose. It's hate or it's love. But here's the other thing I think he really wants us to see. Is he does not want us to miss death in all of this. Like the, the word, if you're doing a word count, that blows all the other ones out of the water is death. Murder, death, slaughter. He wants us to see death. And as we're talking about love and we're talking about hate and we're talking about death, he wants us to see what's the similarity between love and hate. His answer would be death. Verse 15, let's read it. This is the center of John's argument. I think it's his heart to share with us that he does not want us to miss. Verse 15 is the hate ethic. Verse 16 is the love ethic. Verse 15 says this, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16 now, to the Jesus story. But by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. Stop right there. Like if you had to write a high school paper on, what's the difference between love and hate? We could all kind of ramble on. Well, love is this, and hate is this. But if your teacher asks you, what's the similarity, what's saying between love and hate? Most would be like, well, it's a feeling in us. It's The Bible has a very clear answer to what is the similarity between love and hate. It is simply this, it is death. It's just a, what's the object of that death determines hate or love. Here's simple definitions. Hate is you wanting death for someone else. And oftentimes, if you're courageous enough like Cain, you act on it. But most of us are cowards and we just keep it stuffed. And Jesus does not let us stay in our cowardness and call us good. He says, you are a murderer like your brother Cain, if there's any hate in you. If you want any sort of death on someone else. But love is this, death for me. How do we know love? Because Jesus chose death for him on our behalf when we were still sinners. Like, here's what it means to become a Christian. I love this church because we have all sorts of walks of faith. Just, I'm, I don't know, I'm day one of this journey. I've been doing this 50 years. But what does it mean to become a Christian? Two things, according to Scripture, is you must receive this love to become a Christian. Well, what love? I'm not talking about some High in the sky, poetry, we get to talk about la 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 stuff. I'm talking about the love in verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. To become a Christian, you must by faith put your hands out and receive that love that was laid down on your behalf, which involves a few things. You got to claim that Jesus is who he says he is, did what he said he did, and that the punishment that he took on should have been yours. And you receive that love. And not on a trial basis, a probationary basis, but in a once now for all time, he loves you. By this we know love, but he laid down his life for us. Like for you, like right now. You know the worst thing about you. And the person that maybe knows that or if they knew that, what they would think of you. And how much more does it mean that God knows all that about you? And rather than kind of backing up, and avoiding the conversation, he sent his one and only son to die so that those sins, those thoughts, those 
icky things in your heart and all the things you've done and said or thought or believed would be paid for. Why? By this love that he laid down for you and for me. To become a Christian, you do not become a Christian because you pass a test or you church attend enough or you learn something. You become a Christian when you receive the love of the Father by the death of the Son. But John wants us to know this, that's not the end of the story. We're all not just walking into heaven holding that gift. It's now our job to give that love up. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to do the same, lay down our life for others. The language he gives is this, verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees a brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Open your hearts to the needs around you. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We receive God's love, and we give God's love. That's Christianity. That is most stripped down, basic form. Receive the love of Jesus, fully God, fully man, Jewish rabbi, on earth, lived his life, died a death, substitutionary in your place. Now you receive it, and now you walk into this life giving away the same sort of love that lays your life down. And here's the beauty and the irony, once again, from old man John. What's going to be our reward for receiving and then giving this love? Verse 13 just reminds us this life and this place is not our home yet. Verse 13, don't be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. If you choose to love like this, John closest friend of Jesus says you will be hated by this world. Don't be surprised. That's his elderly advice for us. So it's not something to just receive and skip out of here. That's why Jesus, most of his parables are about stopping to think about the cost required of you as you choose to follow Jesus. Are you sure you thought about that? John says the world will hate you. Now listen, this fascinating podcast about Christianity in our world, especially in America. He says, I think the amount of real Christians is the same. I think the amount of real atheists are the same. I think the thing that's being shifted and moved in this moment is all the people that claim Christianity because they grew up in a Methodist house or a Lutheran house or a Catholic house. Like the cultural Christianity is being squeezed out. And that sect of America is no more. So now the real Christians who want to do the real faith stuff look extremely weird because they're sort of for lack of a they're mark, they're like uh, shock absorbers of people who claimed Christ with their words but didn't really have any business are now gone. And now these people are rising and they're being pointed out as weird, intolerant, backwoods, chauvinist, you feel them like hateful. Because that like part of society in our country where Christianity was cool just to kind of have as a badge on your sleeve or like a church attendance thing is now squeezing out. So the faithful ones are the ones that are going to be seen, and the world will hate you. And me. And here's the other thing, and this doesn't get any better, but sorry. If you want to love like this, it's going to feel more like death than you realize. Like I, one of the gals was, she's like, I love love. She's a wedding photographer. I'm like, me too, I love weddings. I love love, I love love. My kids are watching all my 90 shows I grew up on. And at the center of all those shows is a love story. 
Corey and Topanga, Steve Urkel and Laura. Like, I love love. I love love. But like what you see on the screen and what you read in a book and what you sing about in songs you're listening to does not paint the picture of love in the Bible. Like, if you had to go to the Bible, just a little trivia, to find a definition of love, where would you all go? Anybody have an answer? John 3.16, other ones? Stassi, such man. Here's 1 Corinthians 13. From your one and only Paul Stassi, the great. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. And for weddings, for hundreds of thousands of years, this has been the main text. Now, I don't know where it's at now, but this is a great thing to read at your wedding. Because it's beautiful. And it's poetic. And it's talking about the thing in your marriage you need. Love. However, you can read that and receive it in your ear and it not really penetrate and make you do any hard work, potentially if you don't have the concept of death in your definition of love. So I rewrote this <coughs> Apostle Paul's poem to include death. And this is how we're going to wrap up our time. Here's another way to read it. As you're thinking about love being death that I choose for you. I'm dying to myself on your behalf. Instead of patient death to my timetable and my to-do list. And all the parents in the room said, Amen. <laughs> Death to not considering how as much as what I say. That is mine right there, because I can say stuff great, I think. And it can be received not great, which I think is their fault. And the Bible does not give you that freedom. Mm -hmm. You must be kind in how you say and do. Death to my craving for what you have. It does not envy. And just so you know, in a church like ours, this is one of the things that's just going to come at us all the time. If you're in your 20s, if you're in your 30s, if you're in your 40s, you're still young enough and full of zeal and you're still kind of moving up. You haven't reached promotion number two or three or four yet. And you're looking around and the temptation is to envy those around you. And the Bible says that's not love. So you must put to death that in you that wants what they have. Death to my desire to get credit. Oh, I suck. can I post about it? I mean... Did it even happen? <laughs> Death to all the ways I exaggerate my good. Love is not rude. Death to my sarcasm, silence, and sneers. Just so you know, I wrote that specifically for me. If you could relate. Love does not insist on its own way. Death to my hope for this moment, this day, this week, this month. That is spot on. Here's how I envision my Friday afternoon. It's perfect. It's exactly what I'd want in a Friday afternoon. Love does not insist on its own way. Put to death that. Next up. Love is not irritable. Death to my right to be frustrated. Ugh. Love is not resentful. Death to my right for fairness or being repaid. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Death to my desire to cut corners relationally. Young single people or dating people. There's no corner cutting in God's economy of love. So if you're with someone who's cutting corners... You can call it what you want, but you can't call it biblical love. Death to anything false motivating me. Death to my desire to quit 
Death to any cynicism I have about you. Death to any suspicion or doubt keeping me from love. And death to anything stopping me from laying my life down for you. And Paul says that kind of love never ends. Here's what's beautiful about the story of Cain and Jesus. The story of Cain and the ethic of hate has an expiration date. There is coming a day where all that Cain and Adam brought in this world and we have propagated since will come to an end. But the Bible says love never ends. It started on a Roman hill 2,000 years ago where the only one in the universe who had the right to look out and say, not my problem, opened up his heart in the language of John and saw a need. And the way he answered that need was not with a poem or a song or a movie or a rom-com. It was with him laying his life down for us while we were still sinners, not when we had it figured out. And now John, Jesus' best friend, says that's the kind of love we have, church. We've received it, and now we get to give it. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's hard. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for John's words of encouragement, but also of just stripped down, clear picture of what the Christian life is. Of a continual, perpetual, never-ending laying our life down for others. Not because we have it in ourselves to give, it's because we've received it from you. Once by faith, and now we continue to receive it as we stop and remember what you did for us. You laid your life down. So help us to lay our lives down for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.